AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to AOA. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope you're having a good day. Here's what we'll talk about today. We'll talk with Tanner Beamer with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about efforts to get a beef contract library. And what would the benefits of that be to uh, cattle producers? We'll talk about that. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us. Lots of biofuels news to go through. And we'll get a harvest update from the state of Ohio. Cy Prettyman, who farms just north of Columbus, Ohio, will be joining us today for a harvest update. But first, we kick things off with a look at the news, joined by Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Hi, Todd. How are you today? Oh, I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really watching what happens with this spending bill, this, well, whether it's budget reconciliation or build back better or whatever you want to call it, and whether it's $3.5 trillion or $1.5 trillion, it's still a lot of money. Uh, the thing that stands out to me about this, Todd, is they're pushing a bill here that we really don't know everything that's in it. And usually you get a CBO scoring of a bill. Well, we don't even have that because... I guess even the CBO doesn't have the details of this bill. I mean, so many unknowns and, and such a big push to pass this thing. Yeah, Mike, it is. And, uh, you know, we are hearing, though, that uh, the infrastructure bill may get a vote this week. Um, right now, the House is not scheduled to be in session on Friday. Um, but the president is leaving for a foreign trip, I believe, on Thursday. And so a lot of the talk in Washington is to get that infrastructure bill passed before he, he heads out. Uh, whether this is going to materialize or not, it's hard to say. There's so much back and forth right now about the larger Build Back Better uh, Act. Um, you know, we're hearing numbers now that uh, may be in the $2 trillion range, which, you know, we've heard numbers as high as 3.5 or $4 trillion before. Uh, but you're right. We don't know at this point what's actually in that larger bill. I mean, we have some idea, but we don't really have a CBO score. We don't have uh, a lot of things right now that, that we need to know. And there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's really a fluid situation. It kind of, uh, it kind of reminds you of a lot of the other uh, situations we've seen in Congress when it comes to these, uh, these larger bills. And um, so I guess we wait and find out. Now, I realize there are portions of this that would include ag spending, uh, I get that, and certainly infrastructure is a big need for this country. But the overall cost of this thing is very concerning, and they keep talking about and promoting, well, they're just going to pay for it by taxing the wealthy. And more and more right. reports are coming out there saying, those numbers don't add up. You cannot tax them enough to pay for this thing. And so if if it's based on that and that's how they're going to sell it that it's not going to cost the rest of us anything and so we sit back and say we're not super wealthy so it's not going to cost us I, I i don't buy that at all i think it it would cost all of us and we're already seeing it uh with inflation and things like that and and economists say more government spending uh causes more inflation not the, and that's not what we need now Right. And, uh, you know, I think, too, you know, we still don't know entirely where the tax provisions that we've talked a lot about, uh, where those stand. Uh, Senator Grassley this morning had indicated that the stepped-up basis, uh, you know, the estate tax situation, all that, as far as he knows, is still in uh, in play. And so to say that it's not going to cost anyone but the wealthy, I, I don't think is necessarily true, especially if those tax provisions remain. Um, those could be quite costly to agriculture and can really cause a lot of a lot of pain. Yeah, you just can't pass if they do a multi-trillion-dollar spending bill, and it's not going to and 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 to say it's already paid for. It's going to cost us nothing. That can't be. No, you're right, and and that's why the CBO thing is so important too. You know, you've got to you got to have some idea, you know, the end, the money coming in and the money going out and, and how it's going to affect various sectors of the economy. And right now, uh, we still don't know that. All we know is that members of Congress are going back and forth and there's all kinds of uh, pushing and shoving. And so we're just kind of waiting and seeing where it all ends up. 
All right, let's move to some other things. We're going to talk later with uh, Jeff Cooper uh, with the Renewable Fuels Association about some biofuels news. Uh, one of them being, here we go again, another bill trying to uh, take down the renewable uh, fuel standard. Yeah, uh, Representatives Perry Posey, McClintock, Roy Biggs, and Gilmert uh, introduced a bill in the House yesterday to repeal the RFS. And, you know, this this has really come up a number of times. This is really nothing new. We've We've seen attempts like this over the years, um, but it's kind of interesting because this, this kind of thing is coming at a time where uh, the RFS at this point really um, is not really a live uh, provision of law. If you think about it, we've got uh, a number of years left to, uh, on RVO proposals to come from the EPA. We don't know where that's at. Uh, we thought that was going to come about a month ago. Uh, you know, And then we have a rewrite of the RFS or, or a reset of the RFS that's expected to come here in the next year or two. And so um, for all intents and purposes, I think an attempt to repeal the RFS seems uh, seems a bit uh, interesting, but I, I don't see anything like that actually coming out of Congress in any, uh, in any material way. Meanwhile, ADM planning to use more than half of its ethanol production capacity to produce sustainable aviation fuels. Interesting. They, they must see this as a, uh, uh, a path forward for them and something that they think is going to happen then that there's going to be this push that we're going to make a move into this area. Yeah, Mike, you know, and I think it, you know, it, it does have some promise. You know, the USDA last month, uh, you know, came out with a government, you know, as part of the government-wide sustainable aviation fuels challenge uh, to meet 100% of U.S. aviation fuel demand by 2050. Um, and so there is some, there is some definite interest within, uh, within the federal government, the USDA, uh, there's a lot of work going on to make this happen. And, you know, it's a fairly sizable market, uh, potential market. And so, uh, you know, the way things have been going in the ethanol industry with the ups and downs we've seen, especially with COVID in the past year or two, um, you know, why not look at some of these other markets? And I think ADM is, is one of many companies that are uh, looking that direction. Meanwhile, the biofuels industry has been told they're going to get some uh, COVID relief funds, but evidently they haven't seen them yet. Yeah, it's still hanging out there, Mike. You know, um, throughout that whole pandemic, uh, we saw a lot of ethanol plants shutting down. There was a lot of a lot of real trouble in the industry for in terms of demand and those sort of things. Um, and ethanol was always, ne- you know, never a part of uh, relief bills that were passed in Congress. Uh, we've been told the USDA uh, was going to make some of that happen, but you're right; it's still uh, it's still nowhere at this point. Yep, they keep wanting to pass more spending but they haven't even used what's been approved already that that's frustrating all right todd good to talk with you thank you so much yeah thank you very much mike dtn reporter todd neely all right so we've been watching this story um the push to get a contract library for the beef industry that's making some progress there's one in the for the pork industry and there's been a lot of support in the beef industry, not unanimous, but quite a bit of support in the beef industry to get one for their industry. How would this help? Where does this all stand? We're going to talk with Tanner Beamer with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about that. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com 
to learn more. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Your local FS is member-owned. And that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity and vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so there is a bipartisan bill that would create a contract library for the beef industry. The bill would set up a mechanism for the Department of Ag their ag marketing service to report the terms of alternative marketing agreements between packers and producers. There is a, a similar library in existence for the pork industry. So let's uh, talk about this. What would it mean for the beef industry? We're joined now by Tanner Beamer, NCBA's Director of Government Affairs and Market uh, Policy. Thank you for joining us, Tanner. Tell us about, first of all, where, what's the status of this bill? Where is it at right now? So the bill was recently marked up by the House Agriculture Committee earlier uh, last week, um, and that was actually a really quick turnaround time. It was marked up about 48 hours after it was introduced, but like you said, it does have a lot of bipartisan support in the House of Representatives with a strong showing with members on the Agriculture Committee, and it also is widely supported among industry as well. And I think for that reason, it has moved through the process so quickly. So tell us about how it would work and how would it benefit beef producers? Yeah, sure. So this library, uh, if the bill were to be passed and enacted into law, it would tee up a library that would be maintained by the United States Department of Agriculture under the Agricultural Marketing Service. And it would warehouse all the contracts that are offered by packers to producers for the purchase of fed cattle. And, of course, that would be subject to USDA's rules of confidentiality, and it would presumably be aggregated, similar to some of these other reports under livestock mandatory reporting. But theoretically, what it would allow producers to do is compare their marketing arrangements to those of other producers, possibly in their area. And as we know, information is power when we go into uh, either some of these lobbying discussions in Washington, D.C., or into negotiations with packers for the transaction of cattle. And so arming those producers with more information so that they can compare their marketing arrangements to those of others allows them the opportunity to leverage that information potentially into some better deals with their packers. How practical is a library like this, Tanner? I mean, how easily accessible is the information? Uh, uh, is it something you see producers readily using to help them? 
Well, you know, just like the rest of the livestock mandatory reporting uh, reports that USDA publishes, um, I think that this would be useful, especially for those that take the time to really understand how this, uh, this uh, library would work and function. You know, part of the bill uh, actually allocates some money uh, in grant form to entities that want to apply for them to help producers understand how to use the library. But in terms of how specifically that information will be released, that really does remain to be seen. This legislation tees it up at USDA, but it's really going to be up to the agency to decide how specifically they're going to implement the bill if it gets passed. Um, and NCBA has a, a working group that's exploring this topic as we speak, um, and they'll have some information to report back to the Live Cattle Marketing Committee at our convention in Houston next February, and we'll have some insights into that process should we see this bill become law. Critics have said, and there's a lot of support for this, several groups, including NCBA, are supporting it, but some have said that the problem isn't that they don't know about basically the problems out there with marketing. Uh, so this just gives you better information about what the problems are. It doesn't really address the real issues, uh, the fundamental concerns that producers have with that uh, relationship with packers and markets. Certainly. So, I mean, I think that Dusty Johnson, who's the lead sponsor of the bill during the committee markup last Thursday, it said, and NCBA would certainly agree, that this is not a silver bullet solution. We're not going to see conditions in the marketplace improve just because we now have access to some of this information that's uh, pondered in this contract library. However, when you combine that with other things that we've been working on, things like uh, increasing beef processing capacity, things like improving price discovery, and uh, ensuring that every cattle producer is operating in a fair and transparent marketplace with the conclusion of this Justice Department investigation, we can start to turn the tide on this adverse pricing environment for our producers, and that's what our priority is. But this is a, a good step in the right direction, but a silver bullet by no means. We're talking with Tanner Beamer, NCBA's Director of Government Affairs and Market Regulatory Policy, about uh, the possible creation of a cattle contract library. I mentioned earlier that there is one for the pork industry. Um, how has it been functioning? How is it working? You know, one interesting thing about the swine contract library that already exists is that it was authorized via an amendment to the Packers and Stockyards Act. Dusty Johnson and Congressman Cuellar's bill would go about authorizing a cattle contract library via the Agricultural Marketing Act. And that, that might not seem like a very significant difference between the two, but it actually does kind of dictate which agency under the Ag Marketing Service is in charge of maintaining that library. Um, if you look at uh, the Packers and Stockyards Division with the Swine Contract Library, it does look very different. And it's been utilized to varying degrees within the swine industry, as I understand it, since that program was teed up. Um, but, you know, if, if the, the bill were passed, uh, and it were teed up via the Agricultural Marketing Service uh, and um, in the Market News Division. You know, they already have a lot of necessary experience with publishing some of these LMR reports as well. And we would... Oops, I think we may have lost Tanner. I think his, uh, his line dropped out, so maybe we can reestablish... With Tanner, Tanner Beamer, NCBA's Director of Government, Government Affairs and Market Regulatory Policy. Again, looking at the uh, possibility of uh, creating a contract library for the beef industry, similar in some ways at least, not completely, but in some ways similar to the one that's uh, in place for the pork sector. As he said, this is moving uh, along because it has some bipartisan support, but it's not a done deal yet, so we will see... Uh, where it goes from here, if indeed it gets established or not. So there is a lot of support for it, as we mentioned, uh, not only the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, but another, a number of other groups are backing it as well. Some groups have, though, uh, been critical of it. As I mentioned, uh, they have said it's not going to fix uh, all the problems, certainly, and as uh, Tanner said, uh, no one's saying that it will. That's not a uh, magic silver bullet to fix all things. Tanner, I think you're back with us, so go ahead and finish your your thought there. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Not sure what happened there, but uh, I was basically just saying that we have confidence that USDA, especially in the market news division, has the experience and will be able to uh, tee this program up in a manner that's going to benefit producers. So 
you mentioned it's kind of it seems to kind of be on a fast track at least as as far as how things usually move in washington which can be very slowly but uh, uh are you optimistic then that this is going to get through You know, we are optimistic. You know, like you said, it does have a a lot of support from within the industry, particularly among groups that don't necessarily always see eye to eye. I think that's one of the reasons why it moves so quickly through the House with such broad bipartisan support. And while we don't yet have companion legislation in the Senate, I have received quite a bit of interest from some of our allies in that chamber that have some interest in in moving forward with legislation that looks substantially similar to this. So we're very we're very uh, optimistic about this bill's chances of moving forward. I think Congress is really ready to have something that they can support, and we're hopeful that this will be the legislation that they choose to throw their weight behind. So we'll keep an eye on this. Meanwhile, of course, producers obviously are very frustrated by the market situation. Uh, uh, we're, we've seen the story of uh, some producers going to kind of go together and try to form their own, uh, you know, packing plants and 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 go that direction. That that's a big challenge, but uh, something that they're looking at doing. Uh, so obviously, there's a lot of frustration out there. What are you hearing, Tanner, from your members, and uh, what more are they wanting to see done to address this? You know, I think uh, a lot of it can be summed up in what our vice president, Todd Wilkinson, told the House Agriculture Committee in a hearing a few weeks back. You know, like we said, this is a, a problem that's going to require a multitude of solutions, and there's no such thing as one single policy prescription that's going to fix all of this. And I think if we start to talk about what those policy prescriptions look like, we come back to four key points. Number one is price discovery, improving the number of negotiated trades that inform price discovery within our industry. Two, like you mentioned, is expanding beef processing capacity. Uh, We need to bring that up to speed so we can process through the uh, immense volumes of fed cattle that we currently have within the system. And that's going to be a huge step into improving uh, leverage for the cattle producer in some of these uh, pricing negotiations. Third, of course, is market transparency, and that includes the cattle contract library, but it also includes a number of other things like addressing some confidentiality issues with USDA's LMR reporting. And then, of course, like I mentioned, we'd like to see a conclusion to the Justice Department investigation so that we can know that there was uh, no illicit or anti-competitive behavior that occurred in the aftermath of some of these supply shocks of recent years. Yep, a lot of issues here to address, and it's going to take a lot of a lot of different things, as you said, to um, to really resolve the issues. Uh, but this might be one of them: the uh, cattle contract library. Thanks, Tanner. Thanks for the update. Thank you, Mike. Tanner Beamer with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. A lot of issues facing the biofuels industry. We'll talk about those with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Trivapro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. When it comes to maintaining your equipment, look to FS for products you need to keep it running efficiently and smoothly. If your equipment is newer and requires diesel exhaust fluid, FS and many local Fast Stop locations have it in convenient jugs or in bulk. If you need dispensing equipment for your shop or garage, our knowledgeable energy specialists can help with that too. FS, the people and the products to take you further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Weaker futures for the grain and oilseed sector today. Corn export inspections came in at a disappointing 21 million bushels, which is only half of last week's totals. Winter wheat plantings reached 80 percent. Condition ratings in Oklahoma and Kansas are better than normal, while the Pacific Northwest is poorer than normal. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading four cents lower at 534, the March contract down three and three quarters at 543. 
soybeans, the November contract down four at 12.33 and a fraction of a cent. The January contract trading four cents lower at 12.43. For wheats, Chicago wheat December down 10 and a fraction at 7.49 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat December down eight and a half cent at 7.69 and a fraction of a cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December down six and a fraction at 10.20 and three quarters. The March contract down a penny and a half cent at 10.01 and a half cent. Cattle futures continued their rally after the cattle on feed report that came out on Friday. USDA quoted wholesale box beef prices were higher in the afternoon report. Choice was up by $1.22 to $283.04 per hundredweight, with rib primals up to $493.59 per hundredweight. Select boxes were eight cents stronger to $263.19, with $392.64 in ribs. Hogs are trading lower this morning as the continued fight for higher ground continues with seasonal cash market weakness. On the Board of Trade this morning, December live cattle trading seven cents lower at 129.45. February down a dime at 134.65. For feeder cattle, January up 62 cents at 159.20. March up 55 at 160.20. In lean hogs, the February contract down 87 at 75.90. The December contract down a dollar at 73.20. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, always good to talk with you. We have a number of issues uh, facing the biofuels industry. I want to get to uh, at a time when we've got uh, this push in Washington to pass more spending. Um, it, <laughs> the irony of it, it, you can't avoid it here, that some of the money that's already been approved and uh, appropriated, you know, supposedly out there is going to be coming to areas like the biofuels industry. You still haven't received it, right? I mean, you're still waiting on this money that you've been promised. Yeah, that's right, Mike. We are still anxiously awaiting the $700 million in, in emergency relief for COVID that was promised to our industry uh, earlier this year. And, and in fact, you know, we were uh, advocating for some assistance throughout 2020 while COVID was really affecting our markets. Uh, the industry is still recovering from the downturn that we saw due to COVID, and, and we still haven't seen any assistance at all uh, from USDA. Now, we know, or at least we understand, that USDA sent this package to the White House weeks, if not months ago, and the White House has been sitting on this COVID relief package for biofuel producers. And it, and it appears that it's been caught up in the larger politics around the budget reconciliation bill and infrastructure bills and, and um, everything else uh, that is uh, contributing to the chaos and dysfunction in D.C. right now. Which is ridiculous because this is already approved money. It's already there. All they'd have to do is <laughs> send it out. Yeah, that's right. This has nothing to do with the current budget reconciliation package. It has nothing to do with the infrastructure bill. This was money that was appropriated back in January or February 
um, after again after a year of our industry and our uh, friends in Congress advocating for the inclusion of biofuels, we would been left out of all the other packages, the COVID emergency relief packages that had gone through Congress. We finally got a specific inclusion in the bill that uh, passed right at the end of last year. Uh, and then Secretary Vilsack, upon being confirmed, uh, you know, quickly announced that yes, uh, USDA intends to distribute uh, some relief funding to the biofuels industry. And, and here we are, uh, almost uh, you know, 10, 11 months into the year, and we still haven't seen uh, a penny of, of that funding. Yeah, government moves slowly, but this is ridiculous. Uh, all right, let's look at uh, some other. Well, speaking of moving slowly, you're still waiting for RVO levels announcement. Yeah, we are. We're still waiting on the the RFS uh, required volumes for this year and next year. And again, those appear to be tied up in in the larger uh, politics and and debate around budget reconciliation and infrastructure. Again, we we hear that those RVO proposals have been sitting at the White House for for several weeks now. Uh, The administration is sitting on those proposals along with lots of other stuff because they don't want to upset the apple cart or do anything that could add even more tension uh, or more stress to the negotiations over the reconciliation and infrastructure bill. So it's every, you know, the pause button has been hit on virtually everything uh, that needs to move through the White House until there's some clarity on a way forward for uh, for these big packages that are that are currently being debated. Yeah, it's like if they don't get those, they're not going to do anything else, and that's very frustrating. Uh, let's look at uh, some other. Th- you got some legislation again. <laughs> they keep doing this. I mean, you got members of Congress keep pushing legislation to end the RFS. Yeah, we we saw a group of of five congressmen and women uh, last Friday uh, introduce a bill to repeal the renewable fuel standard led by a congressman from uh, Pennsylvania, a small district in, in Pennsylvania that has a very small oil refinery in that district, uh, United Refining Company. And we know that United has been uh, raising all kinds of, of concern and and. Uh, myths and misinformation about the RFS, and apparently they convinced their local congressman to float this bill out. Uh, Mike, we don't see this bill going anywhere. Um, It's dead on arrival. There is no way that uh, the House Energy and Commerce Committee is going to give even a second thought uh, to a bill that would repeal the renewable fuel standard. Uh, But it's frustrating nonetheless to see you know, these folks introducing these bills based on so much uh, wrong information. They, they, they've got their facts completely wrong on this. And the other thing is, you know, Pennsylvania, in, including this area, uh, it's an agricultural area. And there's a fair amount of corn grown in that area. And, and believe it or not, there's an ethanol plant not too far away. Um, so this is a very one-sided, uh, uh, you know, one-sided approach from a congressman that ought to know better and should be listening to all of his constituents. Speaking of proposed bills, there's one also being proposed that would uh, force the government basically to compare costs of, uh, look at uh, these electric vehicles they keep promoting, uh, compare that cost to using uh, uh, E85 or flex fuel vehicles. Yeah, and that's the, that's the sort of legislation that we, we need to be seeing, and, and mm-hmm. we shouldn't need legislation to tell the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Energy to, to use apples-to-apples comparisons <laughs> and, right. and be fair and consistent and use sound science. We shouldn't need Congress to tell them to do that, but apparently we do. So we were very uh, pleased to see Congressman Feenstra from Iowa uh, introduce a, a bill that, that would require those agencies uh, to use uh, proper modeling and make proper comparisons when they're analyzing the carbon impacts of, of different transportation fuels and, and vehicles. Uh, you know, Congressman Feenstra, just like the rest of us, uh, it, it drives him nuts to hear people describe electric vehicles as zero emissions vehicles. And, and this whole notion that, well, there's no tailpipe, and so there's no tailpipe emissions, and so they are completely carbon-free. We know that's nonsense, and, and to do a proper analysis of the carbon impacts of that vehicle, you have to look upstream, and you have to determine where the electricity is coming from that is powering that vehicle. 
You have to look at where all the minerals came from that are in the battery that is storing that electricity. Um, there's lots of car, you know, any transportation fuel and any vehicle choice is going to have carbon impacts, and we need to assess those fairly uh, if we're going to be writing policy that, uh, you know, mandates or, or, or encourages or subsidizes uh, one technology over the other. We really need to understand the impacts of those technologies. Yeah, do your homework, federal government, but That's right. it, it, it takes a bill <laughs> to uh, make them do what they should be doing already. Hey, wh what are your thoughts on ADM's uh, announcement that they're going to uh, use more than half of their ethanol production capacity to produce sustainable aviation fuels? Well, it, it, that's a big announcement, and, you know, I'm not terribly surprised to, to see that, and, and I would expect that we will see uh, some more uh, similar announcements. Um, obviously, there is a big push underway to reduce the carbon emissions from the aviation sector. It's a, it's a huge source of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, I think everybody knows that we're not going to be electrifying commercial air, airplanes anytime soon. Um, and so there is a real move to reduce the carbon impacts of the fuels that are used in aviation by using more biofuels. Um, and so, you know, I'm not surprised to see ADM partnering up with, with one of our member companies, Jivo, um, to, to look at adopting technology that would sort of repurpose some of their ethanol plants to make sustainable aviation fuels. Um, you know, in this current budget reconciliation package, there's some pretty attractive uh, tax credits and, and benefits for the production of uh, sustainable aviation fuels. And, and that's kind of a worldwide push. So I, I think we're going to see more of that as we move forward. Uh, meanwhile, there, more petitions are being filed for uh, waivers to the RFS. So you got there's a bunch sitting there at EPA. What are you hearing on those? Well, we're, we're, we remain hopeful, Mike, that when EPA finally gets around, or I should say when the White House finally gets around to releasing the RVO proposals for 21 and 22, that those proposals will be accompanied by some decisions on some of these pending small refinery exemptions. We've been waiting uh, for, you know, over a year now, in, in many cases, for some decisions on, on these SRE petitions, and the refiners are waiting. Everybody's waiting for some mm -hmm. uh, decision on these things, and, and we're hopeful that we're going to see that uh, in conjunction with these RVO proposals. And, and we're also told that we could see a you know some new policy or, or a, a new white paper or something from EPA that sort of announces their intentions with this program moving forward. Uh, we we got to get a handle on, on where EPA is going with the small refinery exemption right. program. Hey, real quick, as we wrap it up, you know, there's this an announcement recently that some cattle producers are going to go together and try to form their own packing plants uh, out of frustrations with the, the larger packers. It's a daunting task, but it made me think about the days of uh, farmers getting together and deciding to invest their own money in in building ethanol plants. It, 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 you know, Mike, I had the same thought when I saw that, and, and it's, um, I, I love to see that. I mean, cause, because that is exactly what farmers did uh, with the ethanol industry, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and, and even longer, farther back than that. Um, you know, farmers got tired of, of, of just selling their, their, their corn to the, to the local elevator and, and waving goodbye to it. Um, and they pooled their resources, they got together, they built these plants that have added value and provided significant returns to their communities and and you know that's a model that should be adopted elsewhere in agriculture yeah people said how are you going to take on the oil industry well they did it and it's been a it's been quite a success still story doing it. good that's right good to talk with you jeff thank you thank you mike take care jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association stay with us aoa is brought to you by Cenex premium diesel Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. 
You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And our guest today is Mike Traxinger, a fifth-generation farmer and director of governmental affairs and general counsel for Agtegra Cooperative. Mike is joining us today in celebration of National Co-op Month. Mike, thanks for joining us. Many folks may not understand how the cooperative system actually works. What makes it unique, in your opinion? Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and uh, talk a little bit about co-ops and share in celebration of National Co-op Month. I think the thing that for me that stands out the most about cooperatives that makes them unique is that we're member owned. And in Eggtegra's case, we're farmer rancher owned. And so all of our members are active farmers and ranchers and they effectively own our business. And so when we when I come to work every day, I work for farmers is how I like to say it. Well, this co-op model has been around now for more than a century. How do you think it prepares people for the future of farming? I think one of the things that co-ops have to continue to do is to innovate and be at the edge in terms of technology and trying to meet the needs of the farmers. At Agtegra and for most co-ops, our goal is to serve our member owners. That's why we exist. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, they own the business. And so we have to be actively responding to meet their needs on a daily basis trying to predict uh, to the best of our ability what we can do to help them improve their operation, whether that's the farm or the ranch, uh, and make it easier for them to do business and also make us successful as the co-op. Because at the end of the day, if they're successful and we're successful, our success turns into their success. All right. Thanks for joining us, Mike. That is Mike Traxinger, a fifth-generation farmer and director of governmental affairs and general counsel for Agtegra Cooperative. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Wet weather has slowed uh, the final stages of harvest in many parts of the Midwest. Let's check in in the eastern Corn Belt, Ohio, and we're joined now by Cy Prettyman. Cy, thank you for joining us. Uh, how wet are you, and how far along are you with harvest? Well, we're pretty fortunate. Uh, we were able to wrap up harvest last week. Um, There's a few others in the neighborhood, too, that were, were kind of winding harvest down last week. There's several others that uh, obviously have quite a ways to go. Northwest Ohio is stayed pretty wet i know they're behind uh, and i'm not sure about some of the other parts of the state uh, we got we received about uh, maybe an inch and a half to right in my neighborhood and i've heard as much as four inches in in other parts of the state so uh, we're wet for now so it looks like it'll be uh, harvest will definitely be stopped for this week but you're all done i am i am i'm fortunate uh, things rolled along pretty smoothly we had good weather there through most of October, and uh, we were able to wrap up corn harvest last week. And as we talked earlier uh, this fall, we got our beans done pretty timely, too. Were you happy with your yields? Uh, not too bad. A little disappointed in a couple fields, but uh, I think that's the way it is every year. You, you, you have expectations, and sometimes uh, not, not all of them meet that. Uh, but all in all, yeah, we had corn yields ended up being pretty good for us. Not a record year, uh, but a very good year for, for us here right in our area. Every year is a learning year. What did you take away from this year? Uh, interesting enough, uh, on some of the corn, uh, the highly defensive hybrids were that I didn't uh, always put fungicides on, and those type of things performed very well this year. Um, had a few fields that we kind of put that we did fungicide and other other things to enhance yield, and uh, they didn't perform as well as I expected. So, trying to figure out, you know, what what came what happened there was it the dry weather uh kind of late in the season that that hurt some of those fields was it some some late diseases that came in that uh, that we didn't catch uh, those type of things so trying to figure some of that out and i guess that's that's what we're always always doing the trend has become to plant beans earlier and earlier all the time are you doing that yeah we've we've done that for a number of years um really going back to uh, a friend of mine in Montgomery County, uh, Ohio, who encouraged me to plant beans early. Well, that was back in the, the mid-90s. And uh, so when we have the opportunity, we started doing doing that, and we saw the benefits and have continued to try to do it. It just depends on the year and how the weather presents itself and, uh, you know, what we have available for labor to get those, get maybe some beans and corn rolling both early. Uh, but, yeah, I, I definitely have seen the benefit from I'm getting out there early with the beans and, and taking a chance on them, and they do perform very well if, uh, if things go, go right with the weather. Remains to be, see, to be seen how weather is going to allow or not allow fall field work. Uh, how critical is that for you to get as much done as you can in the fall? Yeah, we like to get through and get some fall tillage done, um, uh, especially on the corn stalks, kind of breaking those down a little bit and get ready for spring. So we're pretty well along on fall tillage, but uh, definitely need a few days here, and yeah, hopefully in November as we as we roll into into first of November here pretty quickly uh, to get a little bit more fall fall work done. Um, there's a lot done already in the area uh, because we have had some decent weather, uh, and then there'll be some you know, guys that have gotten their cover cover crops out, uh, weed out. So things look pretty good from that standpoint. Do you plant cover crops? I do from time to time. This depends on the situation and um, and what we're what we have uh, coming off of the fields, whether or not we put cover crops on. But it's not something we do across all of our acres. Are you seeing more of it in Ohio? Definitely seeing more of it. Uh, you know, with uh, H2 Ohio, which is our one of our water quality programs that that's come through the state. Uh, a lot of guys are taking advantage of that those funds to uh, start. Uh, continuing to plant some cover crops. Uh, so, yes, there's more and more going in, guys trying different things, had some neighbor guys that were put together some different tools that they had built to do some deep tillage along with uh, putting some cover crops in behind it. Uh, so it's interesting to see the guys that are innovation that's coming from the farmers in the area as they, they try to, to work on additional cover crops and, and to help with water quality issues here across the state. What are you hearing from other farmers, and how do you feel about the input costs and availability looking not only at this fall but next spring? Yeah, definitely concerned. Uh, everybody's 
talking about it. You know, I've been talking to my suppliers. Uh, you know, what are we going to be able to get? What are we not going to be able to get? What's, you know, how much price increase should I be budgeting for? Uh, so yes, it's definitely guys are concerned with it, and suppliers are concerned too. You know, they want to be able to to get product and have it available, and so that we can all do what we need to do. But uh, yeah, we may have to make some adjustments coming into the spring if, if product's not available. I was going to ask you, do you think it could lead to uh, a change in some acres decisions? I think so. I mean, we were talking about that here on our farm. It's like, well, if we can't, you know, if we can't afford some of the uh, inputs or they aren't available, you know, we may have to make some shifts even at the kind of at the last minute, uh, depending on how things come together here this winter and what's available. So, yeah, that's definitely a discussion that I'm having here on my farm, and I know other guys are doing the same thing. Possibly more beans? Yes, uh, you know, be a shift, shift probably to more beans if we don't have inputs available for the corn. Um, but even on the bean side, depending on what herbicides are available and, you know, what programs we're trying to implement, uh, you know, we're hearing about possible shortages on uh, some of the different pesticides that will uh, be available for us too. Yep, a lot of questions, a lot of still unknowns. Hard to get answers to some of those questions because I'm sure your suppliers are saying we're not sure either. So uh, that right. is going to make it challenging for sure. Cy, glad to hear that uh, you've got your harvest wrapped up. Good to talk with you, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Ohio farmer Cy Prettyman. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Tomorrow, you know, we've been doing harvest uh, reports. Tomorrow we're going to get an update on winter wheat planting out in Kansas. That'll be one of the things we'll be talking about tomorrow. Of course, markets keep you up to date what's going on in Washington with these spending bills. A lot happening right now. We'll do our best to keep you up to date. Always appreciate you being with us. Thank you for joining us. Hope that you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture, the policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA.